morning, um, we're going to jump uh, out of the series that we're in uh, with Joshua and just uh, kind of jump into a topic that uh, our, came out of our staff meeting uh, this past week. But uh, first want to say, uh, if you've been around for a while in our church, number of years, uh, this is so cool. It's like old time week here. Um, the Ozer Chucks are back. I don't know if you know uh, John and Christine, but uh, they went down to Kentucky right? Memphis, Tennessee. It's like Kentucky, only different. I mean, <laughs> Tennessee, whatever. Uh, John played the drums, uh, have a couple kids, three kids or something like that. But uh, good to see you here. The Shears are back there, Gift Shear, Rebecca Shear, the clan uh, down from Michigan. So uh, you want to see them and say hi to them. Just uh, good to see you guys here. So um, just finished reading a book about the Panama Canal. Um, it was a cheap book on sale. Um, by a guy named David McCullough. He writes books on history and things. And I've never uh, studied Panama, Panama Canal. I know nothing about it, never had an opportunity to, never really was interested. Um, and uh, it's fascinating reading this. Uh, the French were the first to try to build the Panama Canal, which was like, huh, who knew? Um, they ended up spending in 1890s, $250 million to try to build the Panama Canal, and they failed miserably at it. In today's dollars, that would be $6 trillion. $6 trillion on trying to build the Panama Canal, and they maybe got 10% of the earth or the dirt moved and uh, ended up just uh, calling it quits and really having nothing to show for it. And most of it was privately funded. Uh, government did stuff, but they actually sold bonds to people and on stocks and to the company. And so it was all, um, a lot of it was private equity that was lost. Can you imagine $6 trillion just like gone over 10 years? Ouch. So the U.S. came along and said, hey, no, no, we need to do this thing. And so uh, we ended up buying their project for $40 million dollars. Not bad, got all their equipment, got everything. Not that we used much of it. And uh, it was uh, Theodore Roosevelt was the one that uh, spearheaded this thing and said, we got to do this. And, um, and the pressure was immense because you had two things. You had one, you had money, and, and time was money, and you had to hurry this thing. I mean, it was, we got to get this thing done and get it done now. If we delay this, it's only going to cost us more. So they sent down the, the first guy and... Uh, uh, Roosevelt had said, I mean, his famous quote is, we're going to see dirt fly. And so they send this guy down, and that's the pressure he had going down. And so what did he do? He made dirt fly. He didn't know what he was digging or where he was going, but dirt was flying. And it was just like what was happening with the French. And so dirt's flying, and everybody's happy, but he ended up quitting about two years in, and uh, it, it was a mess. And so they brought in this other guy, and he comes in, and he's famous, interestingly enough, for asking questions. That's all this guy did. He just asked questions, and he would go up and down this little railroad thing that they had there, the 30, 40 miles of the Panama Canal, where there's a railway system there. And he would ask questions from anybody and everybody. He didn't care what their job was. He didn't care whether they were from Panama, from the U.S., from France. He just asked questions, 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 questions. And about six weeks in, two months in, he realized the worst thing we could be doing right now is digging. 
There was no infrastructure. There was nothing. And they were expecting about 15 to 20,000 employees to come and work on this ditch. And they had nothing in place. So he stopped digging, which was a bold move because everybody was saying, hurry up and dig, would you? He stops it, and they start building all the housing for these workers. They start building dining halls. They start building kitchens because nobody had any food. Nobody was cooking any food. They didn't even think about, oh, yeah, we got to feed all these people. They started building railroads all along this thing, and it's only a 30 or 40-mile uh, stretch, right, the Panama Canal of, of land, and you can go through the there was a lake that they went through and everything, but they ended up building over, I think it was like a thousand miles of railroad just on this 30 minute, because he understood that the only way you're going to move dirt is by the railroad. They expanded the seaports. They built this massive hospital. Now, all this infrastructure went into place, and they spent basically a year and a half just building infrastructure before they actually started digging again. And it's interesting that he kept having to fight this pressure to hurry, hurry, hurry. And he just kept saying, if you want a canal, hold on, hold on. This past week, we uh, as a staff were processing the status of our building. Not this one. The other one on Hartman Road. And uh, we were just talking through the frustrations and how many different dates that we've set. Oh, we're going to be in by this, and oh, we're going to be in by that. And, and you guys probably don't know like 80% of those dates because we got tired of sharing them and uh, tired of setting them. Um, and, and the frustration of it and the pressure we felt to like, come on, we got to hurry up. I mean, a couple years ago, we had this cute timeline. We even put it up on the screen and we had charts and flow charts and it was all so cute and great. And, and then the delays started to hit and February comes, cold as February on record, right? What is June in the history of Ohio? Time's ticking away window for our construction loan is closing here soon and we just feel that the pressure of that like we got to get this thing done not only that we got to we got two buildings and so we got to get into there so we can sell this speaking spell this building speaking of we'd like to sell this building if you know anybody let me know um uh, we just got rid of a bat we had a bat in our belfry which was a whole new experience so uh that's gone now so it doesn't come with a bat uh, just you can let people know that um but we got to send you the pressure to hurry and, and get it done. Let's sell it. Let's get in there. Let's finish it. And, and not only that, we're out of space, and we need more. We need space for more people, so we meet more people for Christ. I mean, th- there's so many reasons why we got to hurry. And uh, and all we've had is delays, delay, 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 delay. Now I'm not egotistical enough to think that this entire project has been delayed solely because I needed to learn a lesson about hurry, which I do. But I am very convinced that some of you are just as messed up as I am. And some of you still don't get the joke, but that's okay. Um, Anybody in a rush? Anybody in a hurry? 
to get it done, to get there. Used to take a month to sail from California all the way down south of South America and up back up to the States. A month. With the Panama Canal, it got cut to 12 hours. And now it's six hours. It accelerated life. The speed of business. Ever hear that commercial? Got to keep up with the speed of business, whatever that speed happens to be. Remember when phones were plugged into walls, and not just the phone, like the cord, the everything was attached to the wall? When mail was the only way you got news? You got a cell phone now in your pocket or in your purse, and you can get a phone call at any moment of the day in your pocket or purse. You can get email any time of day, Snapchat, texting, pokes, prods. I don't know. You can get it all. And the pressure is you have to hurry and answer it. Hurry and respond. Hurry and get back. Why? Because they know you have it in your pocket, right? It's in your purse. And when it rings or when that email comes in or that text comes in, they know what you're doing. You're going, nah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> ow, ow, right? Other person's like, what, what's up? Why aren't you responding? That hurts. Hurry. James wrote, uh, this in chapter 4 of his letter to some Christians. He said, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We're a mist. That's your life. That's my life. We're nothing but a mist. We're here for a bit and then we're gone. Encouraging words. And yet there's something about it that just it resonates deep in here because uh, life is so short. And we know it deep down here. This is not the way it was supposed to be. This is not how it was supposed to be. And so you start to feel a hurry because if life is short, then we better hurry up. We better start moving faster. Try to beat the system. Try to speed it up. Try to extend our lives, lengthen our lives, do whatever we can to add to it, cram more hours in a day, like, Jesus, I think, once was saying, talking about this, he says, look, you guys can't even add a day to your life, and that's easy to do, says God. <laughs> like, what's your deal? You can't even add a day. And we're hurrying and rushing around. There's a famous story in the Bible where Jesus... Um, has some close friends, and it actually says that he, you know, these friends he really loved. Um, 
and the, the friends' names were Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and you may be familiar with this story that I'm going to tell, uh, but uh, Lazarus um, got sick, and, and so they sent some, some word to Jesus, said, hey, Jesus, Lazarus is really sick, you've got to come, or, or, or else he's going to die, and, and Jesus loved them. And it says in John 11, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And guess what? Lazarus died. And Jesus, two days later, goes to where Lazarus lives, or, or lived at that point, where Mary and Martha still are. And, and, and verse 20, he gets there, and, and Martha heard Jesus was there. And Martha comes and says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But now, even, uh, even now, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. But she wasn't thinking about, like, raise him from the dead kind of thing. Like, I, I know you'll say he's in heaven, and that's great. Mary seeing Jesus a few moments later, comes up to Jesus, and, and she comes to him and he says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had hurried, if you had come when you got the news, Jesus waited two days. He went on to say, look, I, I, I'm waiting here because that's actually going to be good for you guys who's telling the disciples God's going to be glorified and your faith's going to increase. It's all good. And he's not dead. And the disciples are like, what? Huh? And, and it was all that Jesus being able to know the future talk that just threw everybody off. And they were like, okay, don't know what you mean. He's dead. Um, Why didn't you hurry down here? You know, it's funny, when we start to hurry and rush, we start to hit obstacles, start to push. And you don't even have to hurry and rush. Life is filled with obstacles. But here's the thing that's crazy. You start to think about what's in our path and what gets in our way and what slows us down. The first person that we should think about is actually God. You have to put God at the top of the list because God will sometimes slow things down. God will sometimes stop things and stall things out and even delay acting and life itself may stop. And Jesus says, look, I am doing this. It's so interesting. He says, I'm doing this for your sake, but ultimately I am doing this so that the Son of God may be glorified through it, and it's for the glory of God. Like, he's, he's all about his glory, and, and he'll do this knowing full well it could cause us suffering, it could cause us grief, it could cause pain, it could cause even death. And he's got this agenda where he wants to be glorified. Can you imagine trying to hurry around God? Like trying to even move God? Are you so hurried in life 
that you can't see that it may be even God that's wanting you to slow down or putting things in your path to slow you down. Can you imagine the conversation Lazarus had with Jesus after he was raised to life? When somebody told him, hey, Lazarus, did you know that Jesus waited two days? He waited for you to die? Now, it says that Lazarus loved Jesus. Jesus loved Lazarus. So these guys are really close. And, and, and people who are close and love each other are honest with each other. And I could just imagine Lazarus going, wait, you waited three days or two days? You let me die? Jesus is like, eh, worked out. When you talk about things that get in our way, what slows us down, what blocks the hurry, what blocks progress, sometimes it's not God. In Daniel, there's a story where Daniel really had this vision and wanted discernment and wisdom on what direction to go. And, and so he's asking God, God, you got to show me and you got to teach me, you got to lead me. And, and he wasn't getting an answer. And he, so he started to pray and fast and it turns into this 21-day fast. I don't think he was going to stop at 21 days. That's just when it stopped because then an angel came to him and said, hey, look, I was actually sent on day one, but I was prevented from coming to you by this, it was a demonic or you would say a satanic being, uh, the prince of Persia is all it's described as, block this messenger from God of coming to Daniel. And only when the archangel Michael came and, and put an end to it was this messenger freed then on day 21 to come to Daniel. 21 days. And, and there's this reality that we're in a spiritual war and, and sometimes what is in our path is, is satanic, it is demonic. And, and we can't push through that on our own power. You can't hurry up that stuff under our own authority. I was talking to somebody recently who, who's a, a minister on staff and, uh, at a church, and, and they just said uh, fascinating, um, just a fascinating observation that so many people that are coming into their church are completely unchurched. I mean, they've never been to church. They don't own a Bible. Um, they just have no church background, so it's that whole generation, first or second generation, that is really post-Christian at this point. And uh, they just said, what's interesting is how open they are to the demonic realm. And you don't have to convince them because they see it in their lives all the time. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, I see stuff happen at night. I hear voices. I got things telling me what to do. I got friends. And it's not good stuff. It's evil stuff. They have no problem believing it. It's fascinating. Delays, stops to our timelines can also come from our own sin. I don't need to necessarily explain this too much if you just look at uh, Israel wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Pretty good example. Everything's on hold. Everything's delayed. There ain't no hurrying. Just a lot of waiting for people to die <laughs> for 40 years. sin. Delays and stops and, and what prevents us from going forward and 
even though we want to hurry, is, is even what God said about this world after Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis chapter 3. He pronounces judgment, and his judgment to, to Adam and Eve is, is this, um, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. But by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Pain, thorns and thistles, sweat. A part of this life you just can't push through a cursed world. You just can't. Life's going to be hard. Life's going to be difficult. I mean, I just referenced it. Cold as February on record. Wet as June on record. How do you fight that? Are you going to put an umbrella over the whole state of Ohio? You know, thought about it. (laughs) Our soil that was so sandy stopped our whole septic stuff. So we tried to figure out what we could do with that. You know, in the Panama Canal, they estimate uh, around 25,000 people died building that canal. 25,000 people. Most of them died from yellow fever and malaria. And it was fascinating even just to watch the, the physicians because they didn't know what caused malaria or yellow fever. And there was actually a physician in Panama who had discovered it. It was mosquitoes. And nobody believed them. They had the solution probably 20 years before. And nobody believed this guy. And he, there's 600 species of mosquitoes. Sorry, I'm way off on the weeds here, but this is so fast. 600 species or 600 different kinds of mosquitoes. Who knew? Um, And he had actually isolated the right one. But they're like, ah. This world is cursed. And we fight against it every day of our lives. This past week, our plumber was supposed to finish the work that was supposed to be done eight months ago, <laughs> I guess. Um, it's, not his, it's not his fault. It's not our fault. It's construction, right? Stuff happens, and you're in the middle of it trying to get it all figured out. So here we are at the end, and it looked like it was going to be the end on Friday. And it's never the end, Right? Um, so we got it all set. He was coming in. He was there. He had his parts, and and we were like, "Hey, it's gonna finally happen. We'll get the final plumbing inspection tomorrow, Monday." And um, so he's there, and all of a sudden, our crew sees that he's driving out of our parking lot in his van, just going. And so they're like, "Hello, where are you going?" He says, "My wife just went to the hospital. It's an emergency." So was that God? I don't know. Was that satanic? I don't know. Was it sin? I don't know what theirs is. Was it ours? Hope not. Was it just this cursed world? Well, you could say possibly that for, you know, bodies break down. 
But in terms of cause, I don't, I don't know. Somebody came up to me afterwards. Can I get their number so we could send a meal to them? And I'm like, I love the body of Christ. I just, I don't have every spiritual gift and I would never have thought of that. And I felt so awful that I didn't think of that. I'm like, that is so brilliant. Like we could cook a meal for this guy. If mom's down for the count, I'm like, you're so right. I'm praying for the gift of mercy. Seriously, I am praying for it. I'm... You know, James comes along and he says, you guys, you guys just think you've got it all worked out. You're running here, you're running there, you're doing this, doing that. You're just so, you're, you're so arrogant to think that you can hurry life and plan life out and get your cute little timelines down. Your life is nothing but a vapor. It's nothing but a mist and you're just gonna go faster and you're just gonna go harder against all of that. Like we can hurry past sin, like we can hurry past the curse of this world, like we can just blow right through demonic realms, we can just push God around. And then we wonder why we're exhausted and why we're frustrated and why we're behind. And You know, I was reading a book recently, just started this one, it's called Soul Keeping. It's by John Ortberg. And uh, John's a... Uh, a uh, pretty well-known pastor, um, is out on the West Coast now, but uh, really made his name uh, at Willow Creek uh, Church. And uh, he had just moved to Chicago, Willow Creek Church, back when he moved, there was about 5,000 people, and now it's like 25,000 people, 30, I don't know. Um, it's a giga church now, it's huge. Um, and uh, right before he started that job, he called his mentor from Southern California just to say, hey, look, I just can you, do you have any words of wisdom before I start this job? Now his mentor was Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard was, he just passed away actually here recently. Um, Dallas Willard was the chairman of philosophy at USC. An evangelical Christian, if you can imagine that, at a secular university, the chairman of the department. Dallas uh, was a very mild-mannered, meek, smart dude really smart, and just, um, just the kindest guy, wrote incredible things about how to connect with God, but uh, he ends up mentoring, uh, he and John Ortberg uh, hooked up, and he became John's mentor, and I, I want to just paint you a picture of Dallas Willard and who he is, um, and uh, just this is a picture of his home and his wife, and he said, inside Dallas's home, furniture was scarce, old, and inexpensive. The house, like Dallas's head, was mostly furnished with books. <laughs> there was an air conditioning unit in the living room window, window that was installed 40 years ago and it roared like a jet engine, so you had to yell to speak over it when it ran. To say that Dallas and his wife Jane were not materialistic would be like saying that the Pope doesn't date much. 
Dallas told me once about a construction worker he used to meet with to talk about soul matters. The worker, the first time he saw Dallas's house, went home and told his wife, Honey, I finally met someone with furniture worse than us. And so he calls up Dallas. And he says, Dallas, what do I need to, ta- to do to stay spiritually healthy? And he said there was a long pause. With Dallas, there was nearly always a long pause. And then he said slowly, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. I quickly wrote that down. Most people take notes with Dallas. I've seen his wife take notes, which my wife rarely does with me. Okay, Dallas, I responded. I've got that one. Now what other spiritual nuggets do you have for me? I don't have a lot of time. I want to get all the spiritual wisdom from you that I can. There's nothing else, he said, generously acting as if he did not notice my impatience. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. ruthlessly eliminate hurry. Solomon once wrote in Ecclesiastes 4, 6, better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. This is written by the guy who is famous for building Israel to its highest in terms of reputation, money, power, wealth, construction projects. And the Bible talks about some of these things. The construction projects just went on, driving, 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 hurry, 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 hurry. And he gets to the end of his life and he says, better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of all that. God, when he appeared to Moses, it wasn't a storm, it wasn't a wind, it wasn't an earthquake, it was in stillness. Psalms 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still. You can't have that verse, you won't find it anywhere in the Bible, it says, Go hurry and know that I am God. Be busy and know that I am God. Rush around like an idiot and know that I am God. He says, be still. It's not going anywhere. It's not doing something else. It's just being still. And here's the mystical side, the spiritual side to our faith because life keeps moving on so you can't stop work, whatever, expectations. You can't stop requirements. You can't stop what you gotta do. So the reality is we can be still. It is about 
an inner reality. And we can totally be still even while we're living, moving, working, relating. But do you have time? God says the Sabbath day is this day of rest, being still. Where everything is still. Tasks, no tasks. Noise is off, calendar closed. Is that on your couch? Is that in a favorite chair? Is that in a favorite room? Is it, is it on a walk? Is it on a drive? Where everything else is eliminated and it's just your time to be still and know God. It's interesting that God would have us whose lives are but a mist stop to know him. The one who was, who is, and will always be. Isn't it interesting? Us whose life is but a mist needs to stop and know the one who is eternal. It changes everything, right? When you bump up against eternal things, all of a sudden you realize, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Seems like God's purposes have been rolling right along for eternity. He may be able to handle our delay. He may be able to handle what's blocking or slowing you down. All of a sudden, all the hurry just kind of fades and is in the presence of one who, to who a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. Even that perspective changes everything, even though we're doing the same things. James, after hammering the Christians for just running and hurrying about, trying to think they're all that. He just said, look, this is what you should say. If God wills, if God wills, we'll live, we'll do this, we'll do that. If God wills, it's brilliant, really. If God wills, then I don't care what curse this world unearths. If God wills, nothing will stand against it, right? If God wills, I don't care what sin has been committed. If he wants this to happen, it'll happen. If God wills, I don't care how powerful any demon is out there. They don't got a chance. I mean, it's not like it's a power struggle with God. He is all-powerful. That's it's already been decided. It's already known. God doesn't stand up there and go, oh, Satan. So if it's his will, 
What's the hurry? Be still. What does that look like practically? I don't know. I don't know what it looks like for you because we're all wired differently and each of us has triggers that push us into this zone where we start to just hurry. And each of our triggers are different and, and I don't know what yours are. Uh, I just know this interior life is where it's found. For me, I, we took, uh, I took a week off with the kids. It was a staycation, you know, spring break kind of thing. And it took me probably till Saturday to finally like be still. And you know, my soul was finally like, and I'm like, man, that screams issues. <laughs> you need help. It shouldn't take that long. Um, so some of the practical things I've been doing recently, um, uh, for me, one of the biggest triggers is this device. I, I won't say that. Um, so I've taken off email. I don't get email on this thing anymore. It was like crack for me. Like, I'm always watching it. And you get the buzz. You don't have it on the ring on the buzz. Anybody's get the false buzz, like the electrical signal going down your leg or whatever, like, I think I just felt something. It's like, oh no, that was just, I actually became very sensitive to the electrical system going up and down my thigh, like right down here. I was like, I could feel when impulses were going through and it was a false alarm. I'm like, oh, it's not an email. Yeah, I need therapy. I know, I'm sorry. I got rid of my games, the ones that, and that was really hard, getting rid of all my games. Uh, the ones that say, hey, you gotta, you gotta keep checking on it. Classic clans. Um, oh. I don't have any games on my phone. Uh, don't check Facebook like I used to. Um, be still. It's amazing how slower my life is going just with that stuff off. What a waste of time. I mean, not, not your emails or not anything like that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying <laughs> clash of clans, maybe. Uh, maybe, I, I don't know what it looks like, ruthlessly eliminate, ruthless, be ruthless. What does that look like for you to look at the hurry in your life and go, yeah, that's got to go, it's got to go. Our lives are but a mist. Are we going to really seriously spend it? hurrying and perhaps missing real life. I'm just going to spend a few moments here just in prayer. Just being still, just knowing God. Uh, let's just uh, lead this, have him lead this time in prayer. So,